This is the Hoove It or Lose It podcast, hosted by Pastor Andy Hoover. Well, this morning we are going to uh, continue in a teaching series that we kicked off last Sunday. Uh, Pastor kicked off, did a phenomenal job last week looking at the impact of the church and the church of course not being the building the the physical manifestation of, of what we see here and what we get to be blessed to meet in but of course the church meaning you and i uh, as the people we are the people we are the church in ephesians chapter 2 uh beginning in verse 19 it says this so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints And are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. I don't want you to miss the imagery here of what's happening. Paul says that you and I, the church, that we are fellow citizens with God. We are fellow citizens with one another, that we are of God's household, that we are built, I love this imagery, that we are built on the foundation of those who have gone before us. We are built on the foundation of those who have gone before us, Jesus serving as the cornerstone, the the centerpiece, the, the, the piece that brings everything together, Jesus serving as the cornerstone, and then it says that you and I are being fitted together. You and I, Steve, Mark, Daryl, all the way around the horn, we are being fitted together to grow into the dwelling of God. We are partners, church. We are players in this kingdom ministry. Last week, we looked at the impact that we can have as the church when we step into that role. Not only as disciples, but what Pastor really hit on last week was when we step into that role as disciple makers. Jesus himself said this, Pastor shared this last week. I thought it was so appropriate and so, so, so right on the money. Jesus says himself in Matthew chapter 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. I love how he hit on the all. There were four alls there. All that I have commanded you to do, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Friends, hear this this morning. That is the calling of one who follows Christ. That is the calling of one who follows Christ. We are called to impact those around us. We're not only called to to be disciples, we're called to help make disciples. And listen, if you walked away last week, and I'm sure they walked away with more than this, but if you walked away with nothing else last week, if you didn't hear anything else that was spoken from this platform last week as we kicked off this series, understand this, walk away knowing that we are called to not just be disciples, but we are called to help make other disciples. Well, this morning, I want to spend some time looking at the idea of building on that by unpacking, by unpacking what that looks like. Where does that come from? What is our motivation? Where, how, how do we get started down that road? Where or with whom does the source of our discipleship-making efforts, our disciple-making efforts begin? In other words, what prompts us? 
What prompts us to make a God-honoring impact on the people that we interact with? Allow me to suggest to you this morning that our efforts in the area of disciple-making and sharing the gospel often mirror what I'm going to call the life cycle of humanity. Take children as an example. We start out excited. We start out uh, full of energy, uh, endless, seemingly endless energy. As children, we can run and we can jump and we can play. As children, we can quickly climb a tree as quickly as we can dig a hole and refill the hole back in. And uh, as children, we move with ease, right? As children, our joints are loose. We are flexible. We are limber. As children, we never stopped moving. Perhaps you can reflect on your own household and that particular child that was full of boundless, limitless energy. Maybe you were that child growing up that was full of boundless, limitless energy. Maybe you had that child or you were that child that talked a mile a minute and you saw your parents and you unpacked every second of the day since the last moment that you saw them and you know uh, you, you just went into every detail and you just, you just talked a mile a minute because you wanted to them to know everything. Ch children, here's the interesting part, children can be almost immediately enthralled and mesmerized by even the simplest of toys. We spend all this money on these gifts and they play with the box. The bottom line is that by and large, by and large, children are more mobile. Children are more easily excitable. They have more energy than we do as adults. And as those children slowly begin to transition into teenage life, things slowly begin to change. The flexibility and the mobility perhaps increases as their physical strength increases. As their physical strength grows, teenagers are physically stronger than their younger siblings. And with the advancement in age and cognitive development, teenagers can now begin to process more complex problems and understand more complex uh, concepts that are out of reach for their younger counterparts. While teenagers are still full of energy and capable of excitement, um, uh, as children are, there has been a new social filter that has been installed. You've experienced this phenomenon, I'm sure, as parents or as grandparents or aunts and uncles. What at one time was thought to be the coolest thing on the planet to your child You've had that conversation. You agreed that it was cool. It was awesome. It was great. It was the best thing on the planet. Suddenly when they become teenagers and this new social filter is inserted in front of their eyes, suddenly the same thing that used to be amazing is now met with a, uh, you ever just want to smack the uh out of them? Amen. See, this new social filter church for teenagers is now filtering out and reducing the level of excitement that used to be associated with the things that they enjoyed. And perhaps not always, it's not that they no longer enjoy those things, it's now that they have to filter those things through this new idea. 
This new social, social filter is now the determining factor for teenagers in what's socially acceptable and considered cool. Teenagers have the same energy, right? The same and perhaps even greater mobility. They possess greater strength and cognitive understanding. But once this once unfiltered and unbridled excitement has started to wane because of an increased awareness of what's considered socially acceptable. And as those teenagers begin to transition into adulthood, that filter becomes even more ingrained. And we suddenly start to feel the realities of life start to set in. Our culture confirms in us the need to get a job and pay the bills and to be responsible and to put away childish things, to give up on our silly dreams that aren't sourced in the harsh realities of life. Our goals begin to narrow and we hone in on those things that in our perception and the perception of the culture around us are things that matter and things of progress. We start to accumulate more. We jockey for this perceived position of greater influence and greater notoriety at work and in life. And while there are exceptions to this rule, adults slowly begin to become less mobile. Many of us could perhaps think back to the day when we could run up and down the basketball court or run for miles on end or participate in some rigorous form of exercise or activity and you remember the days before you actually broke a sweat. I remember when I was in high school, I could, uh, on demand, I could run this is true. I could run, I could do, and, I, and I, I can't even, I don't even know how to act it out for you now because I, I could run and I could do a round off. And a round off, somebody, is it the one where you land like this? Yes, okay, great. Um, that's how long it's been. And so I could run, I could do a round off, I could land, and I could do a back flip and land on my feet. Almost on command. It was a huge hit. No. Church, let's just say this. That is, that, is, that is no longer a reality for me. My center of gravity has lowered. I've become less mobile as an adult. But we get this idea, right, as adults, the things that used to excite us as children, the things that used to excite us as teenagers, no longer excite us. We've now tapped into the reality of life, and the reality of life is that sometimes, church, we just have to buckle down and do things that we don't want to do. We've learned that sometimes we just have to grow up. And as adults transition into later adulthood and retirement appears on the horizon, we can easily start to slip into even less excitement. We slip into even less mobility, and if we're not careful, we buy into the idea that we've done our time. As we age, mobility continues to decrease, and we start to forget anything and everything that at one time brought us joy and brought us excitement. Figuratively speaking, as a young man or a young woman, you would march into the forest and you would chop down a tree with your bare hands and you would drag it out 
And you would carve it into something beautiful using nothing but your bare hands. And now, if we're not careful, we simply wander into the forest to become the bump on the already fallen log. Generally speaking, and hear me in very broad strokes, that describes the life cycle of humanity. We begin with an innocent wonder. We begin with a genuine excitement about life, which then gives way to an increased concern for the opinions of others, which then morphs into a narrowing of our focus and the slow descent into less mobility and perhaps eventually into a disinterest in anything and everything other than what we uniquely prefer. I share that with you this morning because it paints a picture in my mind of the disciple-making process and the spiritual development journey that many of us perhaps find ourselves on today. Think back to me, with me for a moment, to the specific instance that your life changed. Think back to the moment that you first understood the free gift of salvation that Jesus offered you. I remember, I remember the specific instance in my own life. I was like 11, and my mom was in the back bedroom, and she was watching uh, a televangelist on, on ten. This is pre-cable, right? So this is when it was on, like, network television. Uh, she was watching a televangelist uh, on the television there, obviously, and... Um, I hadn't seen any of the message. I hadn't heard what they were preaching about. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't really been paying attention. I was out doing my own thing. And I remember coming back into the back bedroom and crawling up into her bed with her and laying next to her right at the moment that the pastor was standing on the stage, on the television, giving the altar call. I remember that moment like it was just yesterday. And I remember listening to him talk and I remember hearing the choir behind him begin to sing. And suddenly and almost inexplicably, church, my eyes just welled up with tears. And I start crying and my mom looks at me and she says, why are you crying? And I said, I don't know. And my mom, this beautiful saint of a woman, looks at me and she says, I know exactly why you're crying. She knelt down with me next to her bed and she explained the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ offered me. And in that moment, I took that offer. And church, my life was forever changed. I remember her telling me that I needed to call my grandmother. She said, you need to call your grandmother. You need to tell her about this life change. And so I picked up the phone and I called my grandma and I told her. And I remember her telling me how proud of me that she was. And I remember this church. I know it sounds cliche. I know it sounds stereotypical. But hear this. I remember as an 11-year-old in my 11-year-old mind, I remember feeling that this weight had been lifted off of my chest. See, listen, regardless of our physical age, the moment that you entered into a personal relationship with Jesus, this is what the scripture says. The scripture says that you are a new creation. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, the new things have come. In his first letter to the church at Corinth, Paul says this, 
In, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says that I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men. I can't talk to you like a man. But as to men of flesh, as infants in Christ. What's Paul doing, church? I believe what he's doing is he's acknowledging the beginning of this spiritual life cycle. We all start out as spiritual infants, right? Uh, the moment of your salvation, something changed within you. You may not have completely understood it, but you knew that you were different and you loved it. That feeling was intoxicating. Do you remember that moment in your life? Think for a moment about Paul himself. The scripture records for us the exact moment, the specific moment that Paul's life was forever radically changed. He understood who Jesus was and he understood the sacrifice that Jesus made for him while he was perhaps a younger man at this point of his salvation. We could easily agree that Paul, Saul, was well into his career. I mean, study the scripture there. He was well into his career. He was established. His focus had narrowed. He was clearly giving in to the culturally acceptable norm of what someone his age and in his stage of life ought to be doing. He was well into that persecuting Christians. Yet he has this genuine encounter with God on the road to Damascus church and his life was forever changed. I love the way that Acts chapter nine, beginning in verse 18, describes it. And it says this, and immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. Did you catch that? He took food and was strengthened. Listen, I believe that that is both literal and figurative. In other words, he began the process at that moment of growing up spiritually. As he took in the literal food to strengthen his physical body from the ordeal, the several day, multi-day ordeal that he had just gone through, as he began to become more physically strengthened, he took in the word of God, he took in the Holy Spirit's guidance in his life and then the Lord's direction for him and he began to strengthen himself. He began to grow up spiritually Paul already had the knowledge of God. If you study his life, right, he was of, the, of the, the premium school. He knew about it. He already had the knowledge of God, but listen to this. God had to put him back into spiritual diapers so that he could know God, right? And so that he could see more clearly. God had to, I love the scripture there. It says that God had to knock off the scales from his eyes. But church, listen, as this happens in Paul's life, we start to see pretty clear evidence of his excitement. Paul was on fire because of what God had done in his life. And if you continue reading in the very next verses there in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 19, it says, Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. When did this occur? Immediately. When did Paul start proclaiming the magnificence of God? It happened immediately. And this is what the scripture says. The scripture says the people were mesmerized by what was happening. Listen, church, Paul had an audience. 
In Acts chapter 9, verse 21, it says, all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is not he, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who would come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Listen, church, the unadulterated life change that Paul experienced was so real, it was so drastic, it was so different from who he used to be that the people around him were dumbfounded. They couldn't help but listen to the words that were coming from his mouth. And can I just tell you this morning that I think we struggle. We struggle with disciple making. We struggle with sharing our Jesus story and sharing the journey that Jesus has us on with those around us. Let me tell you, I think we struggle with those things because we've lost our audience. We don't have anybody listening to us anymore. Nobody's listening to us. No one wants to listen because we've demonstrated too little life change and too little joy over the work that God has really done in our hearts. I mean, let's pause for a minute and go back to that moment, your 11-year-old moment when you experienced Jesus in the back bedroom in a magnificent, marvelous way. We have lost that joy. It's no wonder no one cares what we have to say. For honest, we've lost our excitement. David says it like this in the book of Psalm. The 51st Psalm, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. How many of you are joyful this morning because of your salvation? Well, like four of us. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with the willing spirit. Listen, I study in this passage this week, I never noticed it. That's why it's important to study God's word on a regular basis. Listen, this is what he says. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with the willing spirit. And then he says, then, then, did you catch it? Then, if you restore to me the joy of my salvation, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Where does it start, pastor? Where's the discipleship making start? It starts with God restoring the joy of our salvation. Amen? See, we've lost the joy of our salvation and we don't, when we don't possess this, this childlike joy of our salvation, we can't possibly bring other people along to experience it as well. Because they don't want nothing to do with it. Or maybe for you, you found yourself not in the childlike stage. Maybe you're here this morning and you found yourself in the teenage phase of spiritual development and disciple making. Perhaps you've been applying a filter to your once pure excitement, your one, at one time what was a, a pure excitement and a pure joy over what God has done for you. Maybe for you this morning, if we're honest in the quietness of our hearts, maybe for you the filter that you've applied, if you're really honest with yourself, is you've applied the filter of the opinion of other people. 
You know, it's one thing to share Jesus, right? It's one thing to make disciples as a wet behind the ears kind of kid who's, who's young and carefree and, and can do that kind of thing. But then you have to start to grow up. You have to start to realize that this, this Jesus stuff is, is offensive and I don't want to ruffle any feathers in the workplace. I don't want to ruffle any feathers in the streets around my house. And don't get me wrong, Pastor, I love the Lord. I'm committed to Him, and uh, if people want to know about Jesus or have a question, I would certainly be happy to chat with them. My friends know that I go to church, and Pastor, I just want you to know I end all my conversations with be blessed. I say be blessed at the every end of every conversation, and Pastor, I just want you to know that at the end of all my emails, it says Jeremiah 29, 11. You see, we buy into this idea. We buy into this idea that the Jesus stuff is for church. But when it comes to school or it comes to work or it comes to the neighborhood or it comes to your kid's soccer team, that's a different story. In the name of growing up a little and fitting into this cultural norm, we've tricked ourselves into thinking that it's acceptable to put boundaries on how, when, and with whom God wants to use us for his glory. what at one time was a passionate pursuit for you. I mean, you remember those moments. It was a passionate pursuit. You, were, you, had, you had come from the childlike wonder of your salvation, and that had morphed into just this passionate, white-hot passion for pursuing the things of God. What at one time was a white-hot pursuit after the things of God has now, has now lessened into a casual meandering in the general direction of where God might be. We're still following. But we used to be on his heels, but now we, uh, now we follow at a distance. Friends, can we entertain the possibility as adults? Let's talk to the adults for a moment. Can we entertain the possibility as adults that our efforts in sharing Jesus and disciple making are being watered down by the opinion of other people? Or maybe you're here this morning and your focus has been misguided. You've come through the childlike wonder and you've battled through the temptations of, you know, yielding to the opinion of others. But now as, an, as, a, as a grown adult, your, 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 your focus has become misguided. At one time, you were passionate about sharing Jesus. You found true joy in your salvation. You started sharing Jesus with those around you in a, in a passionate way. But then life set in as it often does with adults in the real world. You got busy at work. And your boss's expectations started to outweigh God's expectations for your life. You got busy paying the bills and you forgot that God desires the first fruits of your time. You got busy clothing your kids, but you forgot that you're called first and foremost to clothe them in righteousness. We got busy. You got busy volunteering at your kid's school or even at the church and you forgot that your first and foremost priority was to devote yourself and your heart to the things that God has for you in your life. You got busy 
given any real thought to what it looked like to share Jesus and to make disciples, which is first and foremost the calling of the church. And the church is you and me. Friends, when we allow life to set in and our focus to narrow, we begin to block out the calling of God in our lives. And when our time to dig in God's word and our time to really bathe ourselves in prayer is at a premium, it's no wonder, church, it's no wonder that we feel powerless to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around us. It's no wonder that we feel powerless to know even where to begin in the disciple-making journey. Simply put, we cannot give away what we do not possess. Perhaps you're here this morning and you would classify yourself as one who is spiritually aged. Now understand, I don't think this is a classification uh, only uh, set aside for those who are advanced in physical years. I think you could be in your 20s or 30s and consider yourself spiritually aged. You've been in the game since you were a kid. You came into a relationship with Jesus decades ago. You've grown up in church. You've been around. You know the lingo. You've served your time. You've invested in just about every area of ministry in the church. You were working the nursery and in children's church before kids had rights. Back when you could whoop a kid. I mean, you've been in the game for a while. Here's the risk we run as we get further. Let me just tell you, church, here's the risk that we run when we get further in years into this kingdom life. As we age spiritually, we often become less mobile. Amen? As we age spiritually, we often become less flexible. Amen? As we age spiritually, we often buy into this idea that our time of serving has passed. And this is an interesting situation, really, because it's perhaps, not always, but perhaps the time in our spiritual development where we understand the most. You've spent your life studying Scripture. You've spent your life developing an intense prayer life. You've learned some tough spiritual lessons. You've suffered through some tough times in your marriage. You've suffered through some difficult but victorious moments because of the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ in raising your kids and your grandkids and your teenagers. And now, we don't do anything with it. We're what I like to call the spiritual fat cat. You become the Garfield of the kingdom of God, right? We're the Garfield. We've eaten all the spiritual food. We've learned and increased in knowledge. We've got so much to offer those who are younger in the faith, and yet often we find ourselves spiritually napping. Allow me to encourage you this morning that regardless of your age, as a Christ follower, you ought, you're commanded in Scripture to be investing in the next generation. Teenagers ought to be investing in the lives of our children. 
Our young adults ought to be investing in the lives of our teenagers. Our middle-aged adults ought to be investing in the Taylor Stars of the world. Our senior saints ought to be investing, those who have navigated marriage, not perfectly, but you've navigated marriage. You've, you've managed not to kill your children in the journey of raising them. You ought to be investing in the lives of those people who are in the thick of it. You ought to be praying for them. You ought to be encouraging them. You ought to be coming alongside of them. You ought to be offering them wisdom, not perfection, because you didn't do it perfectly. And that's the lie that we buy into. We buy into the lie, well, I didn't do it perfectly. How can I help anyone else? Listen, you are called to be a generational blessing to those who come behind you. A generational blessing being handed down from one generation to the next. Listen, what's that called? That's called disciples making. Disciples. Church, if we desire to make an impact, if we desire to become disciples who make disciples, here's where it begins. This is where it's sourced. This is where it all starts. It starts with you and I making a renewed commitment to the things that God has for our lives. It's out of the overflow that we make disciples. It's out of a commitment, not just from one generation, but a commitment from every generation to invest in the generation behind them. And so I wonder this morning, I wonder this morning as, as they come up and, and play, I wonder this morning if we might do this. wonder if we might have a moment of honesty with ourselves. I wonder if we might make the commitment, and if there are not some here that need to make a fresh commitment to restore the joy of their salvation. Maybe you're here and you've lost it. Maybe you don't have that childlike wonder and childlike excitement anymore and you're just going through the motions. Maybe you're here this morning and you've, in some moments of honesty and reflection as we've been sharing this morning, have realized that you've allowed the filter, the filter of the opinions of others to affect how you share Jesus with those around you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in the adult phase and your focus has become so narrowed and you're just running the race and you're just doing life that you have forgotten about all the things that God desires for you in those arenas. And maybe you're here this morning and you're one of the spiritually aged. And you would say, you know what, Pastor, I'm gonna make a commitment this morning that I am not done. Thanks for listening to the Hoove It or Lose It podcast. For more information or resources, visit www.hooveitorloseit.com or on Facebook at Hoove It or Lose It.